welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. It's a podcast about classical things that you should know. And that's, I'm not committing to any tagline. That's it. I, I, my name is AJ Handenberg. I am a English and rhetoric teacher at Veritas Academy. And I'm here with Graham Donaldson. Say that was about a B minus. Who also teaches <laughs> English and rhetoric and uh, has no tact. And, <laughs> and Thomas Magby Hello. joins us as well. A plus. <laughs> and he is a brown noser. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my introduction today, in light of the past two and how glorious those puns were, all I can pray is that I know enough about the intro to give it its due and that I'm adequate. That was, that's, that was an adequate, adequate. That was an uh, adequate intro. Adequate that's, an, intro. that's all that I can pray is that my intro is good enough. Hey, let's talk about adequateness. Okay, so Magby has some stuff for us today. What do you have for us, so Magby? Been, so uh, Graham and AJ leading up to this talk, they keep asking, hey, what are you going to talk about? And they keep saying, I'm talking about adequatio. And then they go, that doesn't mean anything. It and, sounds like a giant squash falling like from squash. the sky. It sounds like a Harry Potter spell. Harry Potter spell. Yeah, that's good. Um, it is. <laughs> is it? <laughs> adequatio. <laughs> What is it like? Darn clothing, like yeah. it keeps, like it's. If you want to knock a rug out, all the dust out of a rug, <laughs> Araquasio, boof, and all the rug, is, all the dust, all the is dust gone. flies in the air. Yep, that's it's it. That's the end of our podcast, guys. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do. That's not it. Um, so on our last podcast, uh, um, we a few things came up that tie in really well with this discussion right now. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll kind of start it. I'll start from a, so you, you two are both English teachers. Um, so you all read and books. clearly have an v- expansive vocabulary. Well, I think, oh, <laughs> seeing I, I'm as to clarify, this, this is a Latin word. Oh, whew. does that make you feel better? It makes Sorry, me feel way Latin better. Word. That's why answering, <laughs> yeah, answering your question of what are we talking about with a Latin word is not really helpful. But so you all read books in your class with students, and I would I would guess this happens more in AJ's class, but I don't know. So you hand them a copy of a book and you say, "Hey, read this." Do they come back immediately and say, mm, "This book speaks to my soul"? I love. I, I love just love. Word. I flip and love this book. I just. Nope. Every book. Every book they come across, it's like the joy in their heart is just overflowing. No, but the du- the dudes in my class usually love all the stabbing. So Iliad, they love the Iliad. They love the Iliad and they love the Beowulf and they like ridiculous things in Gilgamesh. But <clears throat> and then the few, there's a few girls who, when they get Romeo and Juliet, they're like, finally a real man. Um, <laughs> but but so, then but then so they miss the point. Of that's the right. But then by book four, they're like, Romeo's kind of a creep, and it's like, you got it. That's yeah. But when he's saying, like, she doth teach the torches to burn bright, uh, there's always one that's just like, oh. <laughs> and then there's always, like, another girl is just like, oh, he's so stupid. But um, the boys are like, I miss stabbing. <laughs> yeah. and, there's, and there's always a boy who's writing down things, and he's like, tell girl she burns brighter than headlights. <laughs> yeah, yep, You're like a giant torch. <laughs> Somehow it doesn't work as well. Okay. I don't have to use my phone flashlight when I'm around you, girl. <laughs> if we were ever at a concert, Aww. I could just hold you up in the air and wave you around. That's, That's very beautiful. Just, I was going to say, can we write that down? That's, mm. It works. speaks to my heart. And this is why I'm married. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that was an awful high five. I apologize. Right. Okay, so, but what, what does it mean that, so uh, you two are older than ninth and 10th graders, mm-hmm. um, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, and you all have high esteem for the books that you teach in your class, mm-hmm. I assume. So what's happening there? Why, uh, AJ, why do you love the Iliad and the Odyssey? Uh, Hannenberg, why do you, or, I'm sorry, Donaldson, why do you love um, Paradise Lost and Romeo and Juliet and all the other stuff you read? What's, what's, what's the difference between those two? So I, I like my classics for a few reasons. 
reason number one, the stabbing. Yep. <laughs> you really identify with the freshman on that one. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with them Is there. That's awesome. Their chapter five, Diomedes wastes like a hundred dudes, yeah. and it's great. That's reason number one. And reason number two is, and and this is something my freshmen can't know their year, and this is one of the reasons that they... Should we be putting this on a podcast? Is it, no, oh, yeah. Oh. It's not that they, oh. like, shouldn't know it. It's that they, there's no way for them to know oh, it. Sure. Like, they yeah. won't trust me. It, and it's that my books are... It's like the beginning of the conversation that's been happening for 2,000 years. Yeah. And without it, without reading these books, you are lost to many other references that come later, right, in Graham's class. Like, they'll they'll see references to Dante, to Achilles, mm-hmm. right? Achilles comes up in Crime and Punishment. And if they don't know who Achilles is, they don't get it, yeah. right? And so by themselves, yes, maybe after reading them, you'd be like, why is this important? But then as you jump into classicism, you realize, oh, it's because every other author has read these and... If I don't have that, I cannot converse with the author. Yeah. It's like having the basic lingo for a video game, right? If you start playing CSGO, if you've never played CSGO... Counter-Strike, Global... I don't know. Global Offensive? Okay, there you go. Sure. Something? Sure. Uh, you, you, know, you can never know what a no-scope is, right? If you've never played that, you never that. know. I have, no I have no idea what that is. Well, there's a gun that you can't hit. With no the, there's no aiming reticle oh. unless you're looking down the scope. So when you no-scope somebody, it means you hit them without even like, it's just off the hip. Mm. And so, and with, but not playing that game, you could never know. Yeah. And that comes up in a bunch of other games. And so every time you hear that, you miss that reference, right? And, and that's what, the reason why these books are important. The yeah. last reason is because <clears throat> I begin to identify with the archetypal characters, mm. right? These characters are in themselves pictures of even like a collection of people that you can sort of put on them. Like uh, Helen is the beautiful woman who is beset by her beauty. Mm-hmm. The notion that beauty is a curse typically doesn't occur to high school freshmen, but knowing be- a lot of beautiful people as I have, it becomes a curse, mm-hmm. right? They are hassled constantly. Two beautiful. of which are present here. Wait, hold on, wait. Oh, we're last, we're, oh, we're oh, beautiful sorry, people. Sorry, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Thomas was like, am I? Am I, <laughs> am I one of them? One of those? <laughs> I yeah, set you up, bees. Come if on. You're, if you're sorry. beautiful, you go to the bar. and Swing you and just, a mist. <laughs> you, you live in the, get bu- a moment you, you live in the bubble. That's right. right? Sure. You, like, guys are hassling you all the time and creepy dudes, and it's just, it becomes this horrible thing. And she was there. Mm-hmm. She got kidnapped. She got abused. She got mm-hmm. stolen. She was kidnapped more than once. Wow. And she regrets a lot of the things that she did, and her beauty to her is a curse. And... Uh, Achilles is a young man tied to his fate. You know, Hector is a young man laid low by war. Odysseus is a is a man that is coming to learn that the things that he dreamed of way in the distant future are not worth what he dreamed, but the thing that is worth it is it's already at home, yeah. and he just has to go back to it. All right, so these are archetypes. Yeah. And, and the more that I read it, the more I can identify with these characters and see the things that have played out in their lives play out in my own. Yeah. So part of it is... Inter, interacting with the great conversation sure. and actually getting it on the ground floor. And the other is just the characters sort of becoming a, a, a way, a paradigm through which I see the universe. Yeah, I like that. From, I especially like that point of the, that <clears throat> they as freshmen are not capable of appreciating it at the level that you are right now, which we'll come back to later. Uh, for me, it's thinking about, so the books reveal ourselves to ourselves in many ways. Mm-hmm. So I, I like going through it and thinking about how the books reveal what human nature is and who we are. So in the last podcast, we just talked about how Milton, one of the big things in the Middle Ages, um, and Paradise Lost is in many ways kind of like the last 
book of the Middle Ages, um, is that we are creatures specifically, and there are contexts and places where we will thrive, and there are contexts and places where we will be where we will be anxious, and we will not thrive, and we will feel like we're fighting the place that we're planted in. Um, I always tell my kids like. You know, if, if you are fighting against your nature, if you're fighting against being a human because you don't – either because of ignorance, you don't know what it means to be a human or because you don't like being a human. You don't like the things that you've been called to as a human being. Um, you're going to find – you're going to be like a plant in an environment that you can't thrive. And I always tell them about the plants that die on my balcony. <laughs> Uh, my balcony is a hot place yeah. and a dry place because it's in Texas, and uh, and it's really high up, and it's surrounded by you know our build the side of our building is metal, so it kind of a lot of the plants cook like they're in an oven. So I decided to put succulents up there, and even those succulents died, to which my wife told so me I was. You are this horrid palace <laughs> jailer who's like, take this rosemary. Yeah, so I put the succulents up you there, and they all died. Yeah. To which Amanda said that I was less nurturing than a desert, um, which <laughs> <So good. laughs> that hurts. Um, but anyway, but the. the idea being that when the, by reading these books and by going through the the sort of madness of Raskolnikov in Paradise Lost as he's kind of trying to reject all morality or going through the despair that Adam and Eve feel or Satan feels from the fall um, or going through the fact that love of another person is cannot save you in Romeo and Juliet. Um, just thinking about all of these things about what it means to be a human being um, or, and then yeah. we're seeing Dorian Gray think that the things that he does can't, if they don't manifest physically, he's fine to do them, right? <clears throat> That's right. He can control what happens to his soul. So reflect all of those learnings back and use them as lights in your own dark, in your own interior to see where you are sinful, where you are um, rebellious against where God against your creatureliness, against your, your create, the way that you've been created. Um, so that's to me is, um, the books are, um, it's not therapy, but it, it is a medicine. Like I often do think that a good classical school is a hospital of the soul. But, but Graham, we moderns have science and can't we, true. can't we learn about human nature through, um, empirical study. Just picking aren't, us apart. Aren't the, novels, aren't the novels basically an inefficient form of... So um, Stanley Milgram did this awesome study where... Have you all heard this one before? Mm-mm. Um, so um, he he gets this actor to pretend that he is answering quiz show questions. And then the, the person who's being... Um, who's the subject of this experiment comes in and is asking questions of this person. So the way it works is that whenever the person gets a question wrong, um, the participant in the study administers a shock. Uh, but the, the, there's not actually a shock going on. That actor is just pretending that they're getting shocked. The question is how many people will, you know, turn that dial all the way up to the top, and it's the vast majority of people. So I can learn about human nature, that actually there's this, like, evilness, and there's this evil inside of, of people. Um, they do wicked things. People are bad. I, I can learn that from a study instead of reading a book, right? Our meddling intellect misshapes the beauteous forms of things we murder to dissect. Would you say more? Oh, no, it's just uh, there's um, that's sort of a heavy handed answer that Wordsworth gives. But the idea being that dissection or analytical an analysis, that's the same thing, um, analytics, um, picking things apart, um, empirical verification, that's only one subsection of knowing something. Um, and uh, and I'd we've say talked about this in the Ratio and Intellectus podcast many, many moons ago. But just that it is if you just want to reduce that. 
if you want to reduce all that ontology to just empiricism, um, then you're going to close yourself off. Your universe is going to be what many people think it is, which is cold and empty and material. And um, and consequently, when you you can watch that flat sort of worldview play itself out in character, Raskolnikov right. in Crime and Punishment, and see that it does not a happy soul make. Mm. Anyway. I was going to say that Science is only descriptive and never prescriptive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can tell us what but not qualities why. of happy people, but not how you should, like why you should do that. Or and, should we? Or ought we? Yeah. And there are sometimes when, you know, I, I feel like a lot of what we're finding out in science is just rediscovery of stuff we've known for, <laughs> for forever. Yeah. Like I could have told you that there are people who would turn that dial all the way up to 10. <clears throat> it's We've known that we are yeah, evil yeah, for yeah. a long time. That's mm -hmm. not new. I didn't have to do an experiment. No, no, psychology to discovered that. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I, and... You can give it a fancy a name, though. You yes. can give it. Sure. Yeah, and there's a lot of wisdom that comes from the ancients that we have decided to toss out. Like, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like, learning about the tripartite soul, was it's a great way to think about the ordered human. But how? what has psychology ever done? Can an MRI, like, can you point to the tripartite let's, soul in an MRI? Think, so I was a psychology major at UT, and many of my professors would say that the soul is the brain. And that I think it's a pretty commonly held belief. Mm -hmm. There is no, like, thing that is but, the soul. But that... That that may be true. Like just, but pointing out that the innards of the of the computer exist does not mean that there isn't a good way for a computer to be ordered. Sure. Like just by saying, yeah, all that is is circuits. Yeah, but it also means that you should probably install Windows right. and if update it, shots right. fired. And update it. I am an Apple user. Uh, <laughs> we can talk about that. That's a whole other <laughs> conversation. Uh, but yeah, I, it's it's prescriptive rather than, or sorry, descriptive rather than prescriptive. It's rediscovering stuff, and it can't necessarily tell you what makes for a well ordered person, right? Mm -hmm. Stuff that we've known since Plato. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree one hundred percent, one hundred percent with that. Of course, I'm I'm goading you with all these questions, um, but the, so but Graham, you. Um, had said that it kind of makes the universe smaller. Uh, you reference materialism, but wouldn't you probably say that like most people are functionally materialists? Most people are functionally materialists, but don't want to follow that all the way down. And so they have some kind of um, moralistic, uh, deistic therapy that they, they, they hold to. Yeah, I'm not sure I would say everyone's materialist. I'd say like functionally that's probably mm -hmm. true, but they like to say that they believe there's something out there or there's a greater force or... There's love, even though that's kind of nebulous. The 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 term, yeah, the idea of um, it gets used a lot in people who are talking about modern Christianity in America is, is uh, moralistic therapeutic deism yep. is kind of this smuggled heresy into the church where God is is kind of on my side and He's for me and I'm for Him and we love each other and He makes he, me, he wants me to do good stuff. He wants me to do good stuff he and He helps me good. and He makes me feel good and He's um, there when I screw up and when, when I. I, I don't, and when I feel bad, it's okay because, you know, Jesus died for me, but I don't really have to do anything about that because that's already done. That's taken care of. So um, the, the scripture in the church make no claims upon your actual day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Right. There are um, no imperatives. And, um, and that sort of moralistic therapeutic deism is very ubiquitous. Yes. And other, maybe future podcast. Wait, wait. It's, it is a, it's a hard, it's a weird time. Anyway. Good, good use of heresy, too. Man, let's talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, guys, wouldn't you wish that a book had been published in the 1970s that addressed all of these topics that we're talking about today? And I've never wished them? that. Oh, wait, what? Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, that's the end of our podcast today. <laughs> I've never wished for anything but that. <laughs> okay, good. Even better. Graham, this one's for you, buddy. Um, so the... 
the the concept we'll eventually get to is adequatio, but the it's <laughs> <laughs> still really funny. Um, adequatio, <laughs> uh, which just means adequateness, which we'll get to later. Good hit, but, Harris. <laughs> um, Harry, you, wait to darn that rug. You're a wizard. <laughs> I'm just over here trying to continue the conversation. We're doing the Harry Potter. Uh, um, uh, I'm sorry. Why do household chores when you're a wizard? <laughs> Audacuasio, it's easier. <coughs> I I cannot say the name of this uh, uh, this podcast ever again. It um, uh, so I, I'm accessing this through a book called A Guide for the Perplexed, which is by E. F. Schumacher. Uh, he is getting this from um, Aquinas and um, Augustine uh, uh, far before him. This book came out in 1977 uh, when I brought this up with the group. Uh, Graham said, oh, it's the guy who wrote Small is Beautiful, which is true. It's a book I've never read, but it's definitely the one that Schumacher is better known for. Yeah, who was Schumacher? What was his, what was his deal? He was an economist. He worked with uh, John Maynard Keynes. Um, isn't that right? No. He's a Keynesian. He is a Keynesian. Um, uh, fled to England after the rise of Nazism, and I'm absolutely reading from the back of the book. So anyway, um, he's so he wrote Small is Beautiful, and that's most of what he's known for. But um, this book, A Guide for the Perplexed, is the one that he was most proud of. Um, on his deathbed, he uh, gave a copy to his daughter and said, "This is what my life has been leading to." This book. Wow. Um, it uh, it is it's an incredible read. It's very short. Is the thing I feel like I need to say. Um, well, it'd it, be it kind of be bad if he was like small is beautiful and it was like a seven hundred page book. <laughs> People may not take him seriously. Um, <laughs> right. Fair point. But that, that is true. No, small is beautiful. Doesn't it? It sounds like a dieting book, doesn't it? Like, I just, I don't like that. <laughs> like a I really don't like that title. Oh, a dieting book. A dieting book. Oh, yeah, man. I just really yeah, don't I like that. that. Oh, sad. Uh, it's only 100, so Guide for the Perplexed is only 140 pages. Um, and what he, what he goes through in those 140 pages, it's very dense, um, um, but it, it's very worthwhile. Uh, we'll be picking up a topic that's kind of halfway through the book, but there's some kind of build up to it that we will probably need to do just so any of this makes sense. Um, School us, Magby. Let's, let, let us be schooled. So... When you all are talking, so when we talk about materialism, mm -hmm. um, what does materialism say? Like, what, what does that word mean? Believing that there is nothing beyond the material of our universe. Yeah, sure. so a hard materialism is exactly that. And then a There's, soft materialism would be, uh, maybe you don't hold that hard, uh, to your very core, but acting in such a way that only, you can only, only know what you can measure, or that things are only made up of matter. Yeah, miracles, miracles can't exist because it means an outside force would act upon nature. Mm -hmm. There are no spirits, there is no... God, there are no like it's it is only the matter in the universe. Yeah, we are electric meat. Yeah, so so then so which would be the coolest band name? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Like that. So that um, uh, so when it's applied to humans, you'd say that's bogus and not really good a good point to make. But um, there are things that are are material. There are things that um, don't have spirit, right? When you there are things in this world that are like that. Can you think of a name for those? Like, what are things that have no spirit and are just the material substance? Like a rock? Like a rock. The rock is the example that Sch Schumacher uses. Um, I, an actual rock, not the rock. <laughs> yep, the, um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah. Who is a, a kind and generous person, mm -hmm. I hear. He yeah. seems like a nice guy. Mm -hmm. is, uh, wasn't he the one that was asked if he was going to run for president? Was that the rock? Or was I think that, so. Yeah. There's a new movie coming out with the rock, and it's his family is trapped in a unfinished skyscraper. That's, I mean, that's Die Hard, but anyway. Oh, but, um, so I've seen the um, the the poster for it because mm -hmm. isn't that the one where people were like his mm -hmm. jumping? Yeah, is he, is he can he make the jump? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, well, hopefully he does, or else it'd be a very short movie. So uh, so Graham said rocks, and absolutely, there's this category of things that are just the material that there is no um, there's nothing else to it. Um, and of those things, like observation and empiricism, makes a lot of sense to do. Like if you have a question about the element iron, you should probably 
bring out a microscope and do some tests on it and like look at that thing to understand um, cause and effect. Makes for for something of that level, it makes a lot of sense to do that. Hmm. Um, what is what would you, so the, we're looking for these four levels of of stuff that um, that we can categorize. So what what is like one level higher? What one level more complex than um, the term he uses is mineral, but um, uh, rock is a good way of thinking about it. What's one level above a mineral? You can, something that grows like a plant. A, how do you do this every I, time? <laughs> I kind of think I know what you're where you're going with Great. this. So. I was gonna say something that is inert but carries information like a book. Mm. Oh, that's right? interesting. Wouldn't wouldn't that be one level higher? Like it isn't it isn't just simply inert and yeah. we and by studying it with a microscope we can't necessarily like looking at the the little letter A isn't going to tell us everything about it. But that's it, but. an artifact that isn't created in nature. That's something that gets derived from I think your top yes, category. From higher up from, yeah. from human which will be at the top of this. Sure. Spoiler. Sure. Yeah. But that like nonetheless it is an object that exists mm-hmm. and yeah. I mean the but, criteria wasn't that they had to be non naturally occurring. Yeah. yeah. But, and there are there are naturally occurring things that bring coded information. Yeah. Like I don't know DNA. So I'm saying like the object itself. So the book itself it, it, uh, for no, if no one reads it, it is functionally a rock. It, it, it's a paperweight. It does nothing more than that. Right. Um, so book would still be at that lower level of mineral. Hmm. But um, uh, Graham said it. So plant is that next level up. But what's the difference between a mineral and a plant? There's a, a plants thing. grow. They have a vegetable soul. Uh, that's some people do use that phrase, but I'm I'm wary it, of using soul. It means it means it, it can grow and uh, growing is re- what AJ's answer is what it I grows mean. and reproduces. Yes. itself. Um, it, it's the presence of life yeah. is the difference between mm-hmm. a, a rock and a plant. Um, and just based on our last conversation where we found out that none of us know anything about physics, I'm sure someone will have a really good answer to say that, like, well, there is actually technically motion inside of that rock because at the subatomic level all this stuff is happening. But I don't – whatever. But motion is not the only – That's right. It's life um, that we're, thing we're life. talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a rock left to its own um, um, design will just sit there and not do anything. Motion under volition. Whoa! But do right the the plant the carrots want to grow to move? Yeah. Um, so volition will be the next level up. Yeah. Uh, because so the plant um, you can put a seed in the ground and it'll grow up. Uh, but what's happening there is that it needs water to do that. It can't get its own water. Uh, it needs sunlight to grow and it can't get its own sunlight. So there's a reaction. But plants plants do grow towards the sun. Yep. Heliotaxis. There's a word for it. Yes. But that's different than the next level up. What's but it's a, different than a dog, which is next, so which animals, is uh, can go and hunt its own food. Animal is the next one up. So it's yeah. not just a. So they have a mater- material substance. The animal soul. They ha- uh, well material. So they share. There's something common between them and mineral that there's the physicality. There's life, which is what they share in common with a the plant. They can grow. Mm-hmm. And then they also have um, uh, consciousness. They also have the ability to go after a goal. To um, uh, if I'm a dog and I need. Food. They can set, they can think. I need food and go get food. They can think. I need water. I can go what get would water. the difference be between conscious volition and volition? Because the plant moves towards the sun, like it it is needing a thing and it will move toward it. Yep. Where a rock can't do that same thing, but an animal can choose to move forward. What what would is there stimulus, a word for volition stim, under stimulus versus motive? Okay. is what Schumacher calls it. So um, so at that lowest level of mineral, you can do stuff to, so you can kick a rock. And you can find out what happens when you kick rocks. So, that's so you stub your toe. That's, yep. So that so you can you can experience causes with min, with minerals. With plants, you're experiencing stimulus. You can give mm. water, and it does something in reaction to it. It is life. Like right. th- that is happening. But it's not in the same way of with an animal. Um, so you can put rats in a maze, and they will try and figure out the best way to a piece of cheese, um, and they can try different paths. The plant wouldn't do that. The plant would just move toward whichever way sun is. But isn't 
It, yeah, it'll move towards whichever way sun so is. So stimulus versus mm. um, motive. 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 Okay. Or I, consciousness. Motive or consciousness. AJ is looking very pensive, and I'm waiting for that question. Well, the I'm, I'm probably just misunderstanding botany here, but plants will grow toward a water source, even if they have no, like, from my understanding, even if they have no experience of that water. Like, if there is a stream nearby, their roots will grow towards that. Yeah. Or it may just be that they send out shoots in every direction, and then the Some ones the that the don't ones find that, water, mm-hmm. yeah. they they fall off. That's mm-hmm. probably more likely. I, I have no idea. But, but I think what you're getting, I'm probably making this too complicated. No, you're, well... There is this very complicated difference between a mineral and a plant, that, that addition of life. When Schumacher talks about it, he turns them all into equations for no apparent reason. He just calls it X. There's this X thing that exists in plant that we usually call life. Um, but it's complicated, I, and I agree with that 100%. So we go mineral to plant, plant to animal. So animals have consciousness. Um, and they ha- so an animal has material, they have life, and then they have uh, consciousness. They can have motive. They can direct themselves towards something. What is a level above animal? Human. Human. Rational soul. Pop star. Pop star. <laughs> pop star was the answer I was looking for. I thought you were going to say pop tart, which, mm. man, mm. kind of hungry. You now. don't think they have volition. <laughs> but I'm here to show you. Yeah. Uh, so, elf on the shelf. Oh, this, this one's <laughs> terrifying. I'm sorry. It, it we, doesn't move always, but it moves it sometimes. It moves often enough to make me very concerned for my safety. Do animals feel sad? Um, are we derailing? I feel like <laughs> no, that's no, no, a no, no, no. Because I'm wondering, like, yes, th- this is something they can feel. They can feel pain. They I can, can tell you, pain. they absolutely feel sad. So that's just the thing. Like, oops. Of, uh, is, um, who's the old dog? That Ginger. Ginger when yeah. when our dog lost her eyesight, she moped in the middle of the floor for a week. Yep. She just sit and. Mope. Yeah. It was the saddest so thing. So there's just something in the bestial nature that also has emotions. Emotions that, yeah. that maybe can, maybe they're not as complex as human emotions, but they have it. And perhaps that's also maybe a difference between plants. Yeah. Maybe the carrot doesn't care that it's murdered for your salad. That's good. Um, that's a great point. Or it just can't communicate it. Yeah. yeah. Versus oh, that's the, terrifying. That is terrifying. Although the mandrake root screams at you when you pull it out of the ground. It's another Harry Potter reference. Man, that's getting really dark. <laughs> Sorry. It will get better, maybe? Uh, what is the difference between an animal and a human? What, is, what does a human have that an animal does not? Reason. Reason's a good one. Made in God's image. Made in God's image is a great answer. I'd say guilt, but I've seen guilty dogs before. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. Um, uh, so what Schumacher adds to human that is not present in animal is self-consciousness. So... Consciousness is so like dogs don't feel bad when they're wearing like when they have a funny haircut. Like, no, they do. No, I've they seen some dogs that so when they get a funny haircut, they are self-conscious. Yeah, I think like, it's the 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 dog never has a moment where he's like, "I am alive." Yeah, yeah, that's it. That is, and it. I want to cherish my life. So also, so the consciousness is um, so the dog can say, "I want water. I'm going to go get water." That's conscious. They're they're making that choice to go and do that. Self-consciousness is the ability to look at that thought of "I want water." Um, do I really want water? What is water? What is the nature of, like, whatever? Uh, I, I tend to think that the higher functions of, of humanity are, relate to philosophy in some way, and so that's where self-consciousness would come in. I know that that is not shared by everyone at this table, but... No, the higher function is philosophy. I just okay. don't think it's the highest. And then the highest is pottery. That's the next level. <laughs> uh, I try... Yeah. You are mocking me. I'm not mocking you. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Okay, so animals have consciousness, uh, but humans have um, self-consciousness. They're able to look at um, what they want and then make judgments on that. That would be self-consciousness. Mm. Um, another word is will. Will is another thing mm. that he looks at and says. So um, Aquinas talks about this a lot of animals that, like, animals have these instincts, and so they can only do their instincts. Dog is hungry, dog get food. Dog is thirsty, dog get water. But humans can 
humans have more than that. They can think about what they eat. Um, they can think about, uh, I guess, anything. They can second guess anything. Okay, so that is the different. So um, there's a name for these. He calls it the chain of being. Is this this increase from mineral to plant to animal to human? Have you heard this before, Dan? So it's the mineral soul, the vegetable soul, the animal soul, and the human soul. It's it, it um, doesn't Plato talk about it? Plato, I don't know if Plato talks about it, but it was a bigger. It's a uh, we. It's we may have talked about it when we talked about the cosmos, the medieval okay. cosmos. Yeah, the, there's an order there. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, Lewis talks about it. Yeah, and so what what we're getting at with materialism is to say that. Um, so there's higher complexity with each level. A mineral is less complicated than a plant, is less complicated than an animal, is less complicated than a human. And so what materialism would say is that there's no difference between... So a human is comparable to, um, at the most extreme form, a mineral, but most likely you'd say plant. That, you know, there's something called life that exists mm-hmm. there. But there's no difference between a plant, animal, and human. They all, have, they all are fundamentally the same. Mm-hmm. They all can be studied mm-hmm. the same. And you can reach conclusions about them in the same way, um, with, namely through empiricism, namely through... Just study a group of people and see what they do, and then make a statement from there. Yeah, but I ain't reading no dog books. No dogs wrote a book. <laughs> yep, you tell them. You sure told those dogs. Um, so that sets up. Okay, so those are the, the increasing level of complexity, um, which gets us to adequateness um, or adequatio. So um, <laughs> when when students read the books in your classes or I don't know. Think of when's the last time you all went to the symphony? Went um, about two weeks ago. Really? Yeah. Eighth grade. I was gonna say it's been a, <laughs> a much longer time for me. Um, we have we got tickets. We got season tickets this year it, for the Austin it's Symphony. Been, it's good. Yeah. It's really good. So uh, when you go to the symphony, mm-hmm. could you describe like do you enjoy it? I always leave saying I wish I loved this more. Oh, not that, that I dislike it, but it's that um, it's it's the same sort of feeling that I have in any kind of opera or um or or like a big epic poem that i'm reading for the first time it's the same feeling i had when i read paradise lost for the first time or if i read i haven't read i've only read the aeneid i think once or twice Mm -hmm. and when i read it i i always think to myself to really enjoy this would take a lot more work and it would require a lot more knowledge of the thing than i currently have so um like when i leave um we went to the symphony and we listened to Prokofiev, who is a uh, Russian composer in the war, pre-World War II, post-World War II Soviet. Um, and I never really heard about him. And when I listened to it, I could tell that Prokofiev was very different than Brahms, very different than Beethoven. And I know they're separated by like three, 400 years with these composers, but I just don't have enough frame of reference to be able to say, to be able to like, place them in their historical categories. Um, it's the same thing with art. I don't have enough sort of knowledge to be able to talk about Rembrandt versus, you know, in his era versus the Impressionists in their era. Um, and um, so every time I'm at the symphony, I always, I feel like there, it's um, like I have no taste. Like I feel like this is a delicious <laughs> meal that I'm just like, I want to put ketchup on it, mm. right? Like yeah. that's... that's <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> I That's how I feel. <laughs> I think it's a great um, metaphor for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good I was just thinking of funny things to pour ketchup on. It wasn't important. <laughs> it's very important. You know, like you're at a, you're at a high, like a you restaurant. gelato and like, mm-hmm. oh, I just, I don't get this. Maybe you at this restaurant where so like you probably watch the restaurant on like Chef's Table on Netflix and then you get this plate of like tiny, beautiful food and you're just like. <laughs> 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 As you put the ketchup sure on it. it when that yeah, exactly. 
I think you mix all the foods yeah, together. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I think that is the perfect metaphor for what we're talking about today. Um, so, AJ, if you went to the symphony, how would you feel going through it? Uh, I'd I'd feel okay. I played trombone for so you, you four do years in high school. Yeah, they, it's impressive knowledge. watching people who are good at what they do. Yeah, yeah, it really is. How about, so, how about imagine uh, you take an elementary school kid, um, you know, a cousin or something. You go to the symphony with them, and then you walk out and you say, "Hey, what do you think of this?" They'd symphony? hate it. They probably slept. And, and and why? Like, why would they hate that? Because they heard the so what the, what the weird thing they both heard the same note, or you both heard the same notes, but you got a different experience from it than they did. Why? Because I know more about it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I have an experience of people playing their instruments poorly. I, have, I know my little, those few years my little sister was learning violin <laughs> and insisted on playing in the middle of the house yeah. uh, versus people who can actually play violin well. And she can now, but yeah. those first few years were a trial. <laughs> right. and, and my first few years playing trombone and, and what people can really do, you know. And, and I'm having tried to write music, you end up knowing how difficult it is to write something good. And sometimes it especially helps if you know historically what the song is about, like the 1812 overture and that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, so what Schumacher, he, he talks about the music example. He also talks about the example of a book. So there's a, in front of me right now, there's a, what do you call it, crimson, maroon? What color is that? It's a red dictionary that is sitting in front of me. So uh, at, at one level, what is sitting in front of me is a collection of paper that is leather bound. I don't know what that is. Like at some level, what, all that is in front of me is the material itself. And that is an, that's an accurate thing to say about that, but it's not a complete thing to say about that dictionary sitting in front of me. Um, I can also, I can say that it, um, um, I can know about it, I can know that it has definitions inside of it, which is, a dictionary is actually a bad example because you can't really get, so uh, I'm going to pull out the Odyssey. We can all stare at the Odyssey. It's sitting right in front of us. At one level, it's just a collection of pages. That is an accurate thing to say about that. Uh, if I were a slightly higher function, I might be able to say that's red on the cover. Um, if I'm a slightly higher function, I can say it's Homer on the cover. The... Um, Author. The author. It, it, it says the letters. It's not a picture of Homer. Would that be funny? This is Homer. Um, and those are all true things to say about it. I can also, I, if I'm even a step above that, I can read through it and understand the plot of the story that's happening inside of the Odyssey, which is good, but even still not a complete understanding of what's happening inside of that book. Um, there are themes inside of that book, a step above that. And then um, um, Mortimer Adler says that this is kind of the highest way of reading is, um, um, I think he calls it synthetically. It's where you read across books to say what different authors say about the same thing. And I think this is where critique and synthesis comes in. And this is one of the reasons I think people have such a hard time with even movie critics not liking a movie that they enjoy. Well, part of it is that the critic has seen way more movies than you right? and, and has probably studied film and knows what good editing is versus bad editing versus mediocre editing, and they can say, this is a bad film because the ending was too abrupt, the beginning was too long, the cinematography was bad, when you're like, I saw a horse jump over a train, and that was cool. <laughs> like, when you, character motivations don't make sense, and you're like, what is she, a space wizard Jedi? And she flies through the broken <laughs> ship, and my kids think it's amazing, and I think it's the stupidest thing. Or, no, sorry. I said it was a great movie. Oh. Or, or, yeah, where where I have beef with some of the like even a couple of the novels we read senior year, but it's just because there are certain things that I, I I don't like about the writing, but it comes from experience and knowing what makes good, good writing and good novels and having been widely read, right? Mm-hmm. So that this is Anacquasio. So this is, he, uh, Schumacher opens chapter four. What enables man to know anything at all about the world around him? Uh, open quote. Knowing demands the organ fitted to the object, said Plotinus died eighty two seventy. Not knowing demands the organ fitted to the object. Wait, his name was Plotinus. P o p l o t i n u s. 
Oh, I was hoping it was P L O T N E S S, and he had Pl- to be a Plotinus. writer. Plotinus. <laughs> That's good. Plotinus. Plotinus. I don't know. Do y'all know Plotinus? I don't know. Anything no, about do it. not. Um, so a part of what is happening with um, the student accessing or reading the book for the first time is that they they are not yet fitted to the object. They are not. They do not yet have the faculty to be prepared. Maybe I don't. Know, maybe you disagree with this. Do you disagree with this? Like they're not. In a sense, they're not ready for the book because it's their first time going through it. It's their first time being introduced to many of the ideas contained in those books. It's. It makes, yeah, thinking that I want the students to have, um, like, read it twice to read it. Right. That's exactly right. But even then, it doesn't necessarily do it. Yeah. You know, even even with the Iliad and Odyssey, like I said, my kids can't know how important they are early. And they probably won't know until they've read it and then and then read a bunch of other stuff and they realize it, it. And then that's when they come back and they think, okay, it used now to, I see the importance. It used to frustrate me when students would come back and they would say things like, I'm learning this thing now. I'm learning, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm, uh, well, I've had this experience of knowledge and understanding in college. Man, I wish they taught us this back in high school. And we did. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is actually all of that was available to you. Like the feast was there. You just thought it was gross. You were just, you didn't have the utensils to eat it. Yeah. Right. The soup was there. So then it stopped. So then it's, then I've stopped sort of taking offense with that because that's just the game. Like that's just, that's just a growing up. I mean, well, there's that. And there's also that. They don't always listen. Like sometimes yeah, they'll be yeah, like, yeah. you didn't talk about this. And I was like, actually, we talked about it six <laughs> times. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. in the review, <laughs> yeah. we talked about it. You didn't listen. But I, guess, I think that's what it's getting at is and the food metaphor is so spot on because it's absolutely everything that is. Um, I'm using the English example because you're English teachers. But what is covered in math was covered in science. Bringing it to our level. Because <laughs> we're English teachers. But, but that's why I'm talking about books. But like with like. Everything that is being offered in these classes is a feast. Every, it's all fine cuisine. It's all whatever. Um, it's all gelato all the time. I love gelato. That's why I say that. Um, but the problem is more with not having the utensils. It's that it, it's not. Um, I brought this up uh, yesterday. I was just talking with some people about it. And so I'll make a point eventually about this. Uh, so one way of reading Adequatio is that students and it's not just students, it's me, me and approaching a book, like I don't have the tools for it. But the other side is like having the will to acquire those tools. I guess that's, that's the thing I wanted to raise uh, just to ask you all. Like, is it, is it a skill problem of mm-hmm. like, I'm not ready to read the Odyssey or is it like, I just don't want to read the Odyssey. So we should just teach critical thinking skills, Thomas. Is that what we <laughs> should be doing? And that hey, I just created a modern, <laughs> you just created a modern high school, my friend. No, I mean, um, you, you can't learn like the skills are byproducts that you learn by going through the through thing the with a guide, yeah. mm-hmm. um, as opposed to saying like, and "I'm going to outside of the experience, I'm going to teach you how to experience the experience and let you go experience it yourself." Doesn't work that way. You need to, to do the thing yeah. with a person who appreciates it, and you don't appreciate it. And uh, maybe at the be- at, at first you need to mimic the appreciation that the guide has, yeah. Yeah. and then eventually you will actually appreciate the thing. Yeah. And that's, I mean. That's kind of been, that was definitely my experience with art. I did not appreciate or understand art. My wife um, uh, did. And we went to many museums when we lived in, in Amsterdam and, uh, or, and then we would travel to you know, different European cities and go to their big old museums where they have all of this amazing art. And I essentially like faked it until I felt it, yeah. right? And, uh, uh, and she was going through these things and she was pointing out things that I would never have thought about, brush strokes and getting really close and looking at things and talking about the history of it to the point where I 
had enough tools to do it myself, yeah. but I couldn't have just learned those tools without actually going and and realizing that I didn't appreciate it as much as I wanted to. So yeah, it's uh, I, so I don't think you can do it on a skill level without I think, going without through, going through right? the books. Yeah. yeah. Like so in many ways, like teaching, yeah, you gotta you gotta learn by doing. It's just like <laughs> mm-hmm. I hate to bring it back to pottery, but you you can't watch somebody throw yeah, yeah. a bowl. 30 times mm-hmm. and then throw the bowl, throw the bowl. Mm-hmm. You have to do it. Do you it. have to fail for six months at doing it. I hear that Japanese potters, they actually, when you're interning with a Japanese potter, mm-hmm. they don't let you keep anything for two years. Um, everything you make, they smash wow. and tell you to remake That's awesome. because it's just not good enough. Yeah. Like you're just not there yet. And you need That's to be able to fail. Though. Yeah. Cause I feel like whatever. We, yeah. We should just light their essays on fire. Well, I was going to say, or even like, well, so when, uh, when the little kid comes home and has the drawing for you and wants it to go on the refrigerator, what you're actually going to do is two years later, cut it up into thousand pieces. What is this trash. sad trash? <laughs> Draw it again. <laughs> I have a beard. Well, okay. I expect to see a beard on the next So, one. but Thomas, the, so this, a question has been bubbling in the back of my mind is yeah. how is what we're talking about? Not just another log in the fire. That's going to make me a snob. Oh. Like I'd have taste yeah. and you don't. So yeah, great. So because uh, that is so, <laughs> Catherine Ball, if you're listening, it's, it's a little bit of kerosene <laughs> on an already roaring flame. Yeah. <laughs> so, so up to this point, we've just been talking about kind of what this concept is, and so implications of this is what will come next. So again, I just want to say, mm. what is on the quashio? Pew pew. <laughs> yep. What enables man to know anything at all about the world around him? Knowing demands the organ fitted to the object. And that is what Aquasio is, is developing that, that capacity, is developing that, um, when it says organ, like the senses, developing yourself to be, able to, know the, to be able to know an object. So what are some implications of this? One implication of this is that... Will uh, be snobby aristocrats? You could, but so, so one way to look at it is say, I have better taste, you have worse taste, and that's kind of the end of it. But the way I read Aquasio is that um, all of our tastes are being developed. Not, it's not even taste, it kind of is. It's being developed and grown over time. And so... Um, what is unfair is to look at a freshman and say, you know, your taste is horrible, um, you know, read better books, because they're, they're being developed. Like, mm. I don't know, it'd be kind of weird if they came in and they were reading, trying to look for a good book that's around here, Ulysses by James Joyce. Like, that would be weird if they came into their freshman year reading that stuff, right? Or they liked good music. Yeah, because they're still growing into that. Yeah. Um, they need to go through pop punk. Mm-hmm. Before they hit something good, we all did that. We all did <laughs> that. Oh, rough years. <laughs> but like, but even if you were to take great music and play it for them, they wouldn't be ready for it. Mm-hmm. Is more what I'm saying. And so, um, uh, you, you, it's smaller steps to get them eventually to good taste in music, good taste in books, good taste, good taste in whatever. Um, so I don't know. I think an implication of it also is patience with people as they are growing into that. And not only that, but I, I would say patience with certain arts yeah. like on a certain level if you hate something it might be that you just don't get it well, like you need to learn something more about it so if i like with uh with moby dick i first mm-hmm. time i read that man i hated that book i hated it so much and then talking to Catherine ball who teaches the book she gave me some fantastic advice about how to approach it how to read it and then second time through i just i love the advice what was the advice she gave you the the advice and this is like you listener trust me this is the way you got to go at moby dick because there are a lot of chapters in there that just do not matter. Like there's <laughs> one on you? the forehead of the whale. There's one on. There's a couple on carvings of whales. It's the most important. And they just like to the story. They don't matter much. No. Nope. But if you look at the book less like an adventure novel and more like a whaling journey, it's a lot easier. Because on a whaling journey, it's not going to be all fun and waves and you know getting paid and getting oil. It's 
There's going to be a lot of drudgery days. There's going to be days where you're just sitting on the deck, nothing's happening. You learn a lot about whales. You're going to learn a lot about whales. <laughs> More you're, than you ever wanted to know. You're going to learn about random stuff in the boat that doesn't even matter, like how to set up the line for a harpoon when you throw it. You're going to l- think about things like whale foreheads. Like It's just going to be a long time, and not everything is going to be completely linear. And if you go with the book like, all right, this is going to be hard. It's going to take some work. I'm going to learn a lot about some stuff. I wasn't super stoked about learning, but here we go, then you and can it's like, sort of... Yeah, a little pageant of an actual whale journey, so you can feel like you've been a whaler when you read this book by having been bored and learn a lot about whales. Yeah, you can put aside your <laughs> hunger for the new and enjoy stuff as it comes and pull out the worthwhile pieces of it, just like like on a long family road trip. It's not all going to be awesome, right, but sure. you can pull out those great little nuggets. Mm-hmm. I, I read Moby Dick this past summer, and I read pretty much all of it in two weeks when I was at a cottage with my whole family, my parents, my sister and brother-in-law and their kids. And my days really were, I would read Moby Dick for like three hours in the hammock, and then I would go in the canoe and canoe around the lake up in Canada. Yeah. Hilarious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I would go in the canoe and, and like canoe around and just think about like, I know there's no whales in the lake, but just think about like the things he's talking about, water <laughs> and fish. And I know it was, so to me, yeah, it, it, it was... That, and there are sometimes when you're at a college for two weeks, and it's not always fun because it's sometimes you're bored. Mm. And uh, yeah, and I mean, you got to appreciate the time that the book came out, right? Yeah, right. When people mm-hmm. paid a lot of money for the book, they expected to get a lot of book, mm-hmm. right? If it was an expensive book, they wanted a lot of pages mm-hmm. because it was supposed to be a pastime. Mm-hmm. And there, he was actually one of the like he had experienced whales. He knew what he was talking yeah. about, and so the information coming out, it wasn't. Like, he just misunderstood what was going on. This was the best stuff that there was on whales at the time. So Yeah. But I think also what you all are talking about is the difference between being an animal and being a human. That it's very it's so easy to pick, to open Moby Dick, start reading, and say, this is boring. And that'd be the end of it. Mm-hmm. That's what an animal would do. It, they would react to the stim- They would react to what's happening. <laughs> so in 11th grade, when they come back and they're like, this is a boring, Call Catherine can go, you animals. <laughs> and, yeah. and you could. Well, but the other difference is that no one harvests me for my oil. There is that. Yeah, that's a good dis- difference between you and yeah. whales. Um, but, Cannibals, but, <laughs> but but what, what humans have that animals don't is will, is self-consciousness. You can say, I'm bored by this book, but it's worth still reading. Mm-hmm. And so that experience of boredom is okay. Like the, that boredom just, it's a piece of information that you feel a certain way about a book. That is not a comment on the book. It's a comment about you. And having developed self-consciousness allows you to understand that or think about that. So you should feel bored while reading a book, but giving in immediately and then saying, I'm just going to read spark notes for the rest of the, the, the time in the class is to give into your animal nature and to say that all I am is my reactions. So, it would be like descending into a barbarous age. There you go. So probably Paradise Lost is like a great uh, metaphor for this of like um, you, you either can be developing these kind of like higher faculties in yourself of like, yes, I'm bored, but I can get through boredom or I give into my boredom and I only entertain myself all the time. Mm-hmm. One will make you a better mm-hmm. person. One will make you a worse person. Hmm. That's just an observation based on uh, Schumacher stuff. Um there is hope. There is hope th- uh, to develop to that level of adequateness of the faculties. Um, if... Homer was able to compile a book called The Odyssey if um, Milton was able to put together a book, Paradise Lost, and if people across time have been able to read it and enjoy it, there's hope for our faculties to be developed to that point to um, appreciate it at that same level. Uh, I think great questions about, like, does everyone have that same capacity is an interesting question, but I think you all would agree. The problem is rarely capacity, and it's more um, will. It's more hmm. um, um, intention. That, that's my experience. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, because... What- and, and I'd say a prevalent philosophy of 
you know, self-righteous, just, inter- I, I don't think there's a word for it, but entertainmentism. Right. Like, yes. there's, why should I work hard? I can be entertained and be fine. And and that, and again, that is the animal side of a person. So, like, so it's not to say that it's bad. It's just to say that there's more to human than just that. So you should be entertained. Like, you should have fun. You shouldn't just be working all the time, willing yourself all the time, because human is made up of all the parts of animal plus will. Mm-hmm. So you should still, I don't know. There's, and to add to that hope, there's this idea, you gather strength as you go. I mean, a couple of podcasts ago, we were talking about how the brain is a web, and the more that yeah. you learn, the more capacity you have to learn. Right. And I've been recently enjoying the um, writings of uh, Churchill, his history of the English-speaking people. And as I read it, I'm, I just love it. I'm enjoying the language and the way that he turns phrase and the, what he's talking about. And I know that even like five years ago, I wouldn't have enjoyed right. it. But now, five years later, I'm enjoying it because I like the content, but also I'm thinking of him as a writer in how I can teach my students to be writers to write something enjoyable. And so there's this, you know, five years ago I was, you know, 29 or whatever. And, uh, um, who you old? Uh, old. <laughs> um, and just the idea that, but, uh, that you continue to increase the capacity and when you when you see that, or you can cast back and think about how far you've gone, it gives you a lot of motivation to continue. Yeah. A tenth grader doesn't have that. A tenth grader right. can't does not be, can't. I mean, they have a little bit, and they can look back to what they liked in sixth grade and what they like now. But they've but, been forced to that. But place, they've been right? sort of part of growing. Yeah. Up. yeah. Um, whereas the motivation to do it uh, yourself is, um, I kind of think it's you have less excuses not to when you're older because you can see the change, um, but then you also don't have the like outside force doing it and like, making you do it. Yeah, I've, I've had that same experience, not necessarily with reading Churchill, but definitely with writing. Mm-hmm. I used to think after the first couple of years of reading exclusively ninth grade essays all year that I was getting worse at writing mm-hmm. just because really? I hadn't been reading as much good writing and it was just, I mean, no offense to my ninth graders, but... But they're writing ninth grade essays. Well, of, and things that haven't gone through an editor and publishing right. process, right? So I didn't have a feel as, as much for the prose. And then I worked a little bit more and I'd been working with writing and teaching my ninth graders writing. And then I went back to some of my college essays and I was like, wow, mm. this is a train wreck. <laughs> this has two theses. It's This paper's trying to do two different things and not very well. The paragraphs aren't cohesive. And I was like, wow, I actually have come a little ways. Yeah. And then even recently having studied some things in, you know, The Immortal Strunk and White, and I'm reading a couple other writing manuals, I, I don't think I ever would have by choice jumped into a writing manual yeah. in college. Right. Never. Right. Like I figured I was good enough at writing and that was fine. I was a good writer. Yeah. I look back and I was not a good writer. Yeah. And now, you know, even though I don't have to, I I want to learn how to write an that's email cool. that's compelling. Yeah. So that's really good. I, I think maybe a final like practical takeaway of what this is about is the example you just gave uh, gave a while ago of um, of Catherine Ball talking with you about reading through Moby Dick um, because we um, humanity is a shared trait across the three of us across all of our students across all humans that we interact with and so to say that you read a book and you found it boring at first is okay like you can identify with that um, because you probably went through that at some point. Um, but then you can also, you can still encourage people to say, that's not the ultimate say on this book. That's not the ultimate way you'll feel about this book. Um, yeah, it it is not a problem for a reaction to be boredom or confusion, or this is really hard. You can identify and say, yes, that is true, but, um, that will change. So, yep. Anyway, that's, that is Adequatio. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, Guide for the Perplex is a really good book. Uh, uh, James Shaw is a, He's a priest, I think. Um, 
yeah, Roman Catholic priest, he did a, a podcast on the art of manliness and one of his like four books of like, if you think that you care about learning, you should read this book and it's very, very good. So I encourage you to pick it up. All right. Thank you, Thomas. So that has been our Classical Stuff You Should Know episode. Does anybody have any quotes they want to give as a commonplace? Oh, I meant to say this. So, yes. Um, the process of how people, I guess, improve or change in their taste, especially. Um, this is a quote from, of course, uh, A Guide for the Perplexed. One cannot, I say, attain supreme knowledge all at once. Only by a gradual training, a gradual action, a gradual unfolding, does one attain perfect knowledge. In what manner? A man comes, moved by confidence. Having come, he joins. Having joined, he listens. Listening, he receives the doctrine. Having received the doctrine, he remembers it. He examines the sense of the things remembered. From examining the sense, the things are approved of. Having approved, desire is born. He ponders. Pondering, he eagerly trains himself. And eagerly training himself, he mentally realizes the highest truth itself, and penetrating it by means of wisdom, he sees. In the modern vernacular, he gets good. Yep, gets good. Yep. <laughs> is this spelled G-U-D? How do you spell gets good? G-U-D. Yes. Get good. Mm-hmm. good. All right. Thank you. This is uh, AJ Graham and B's signing off. Oh, as far as classical stuff we got wrong, well, I screwed up the recording last podcast. <laughs> yeah, so there's always that. Sorry about that, guys. I'm the worst. And no, you're not. Uh, yeah, you can check us out on classicalstuff.net. You can send us emails at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. You can tweet at us at C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. Is there an at Twitter? That's I think that's right. At class, classical stuff. Yeah, that's it. Yep. If you know how to find us, just go, yeah, just find go us. Yeah. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> this is use the Google machine. All right. And uh, that's that draws us to a close. So thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Pew adequatio. Pew adequatio. Pew. You're all wizard, Harry. I feel like work in that universe would be so easy yep. because you just use a spell. Like, I got to take my rugs to the darning wizard, and you just <laughs> line them all and be like, adequatio, 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 adequatio. It'd be so easy. Like, dry clean. It's easy. Done. How, how does anyone make money in this world? <laughs> Asking the hard-hitting questions. Hard-hitting like questions. There's, there's only one job you can have, and that's like selling wands or mm. maybe selling food. Mm. Like those are the only two shops in the wizarding world, wands and food. I feel like you come up with spells. Like isn't there mm. like a spell creation? So it's like an app. It's like an app developer, like a spell developer. <laughs> <laughs> like so, an app developer. It, yeah, because but at a certain point, like, I don't know. It was never clear how much magic could do. Like, can it conjure food? Could you conjure so? food with it? I don't it? know. If if it's you are magic? an expert on Harry Potter lore, email us at classical stuff at veritasacademy.net. What if that's the thing we get most of our emails for? Oh, man. All right. Well, thanks again, and we'll see you later. Bye.